All right. Hey, everybody. This is Paul Fuller of Membrane. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Art and Science of Complex Sales podcast. I am joined here today by an awesome person that I'm excited to get to interview and learn more about. Jenica Dixon from Slattery is here with us. And we're going to dive into all sorts of topics, including account growth, what selling is, how she got into selling, and any awesome tips and tricks that she has to bestow upon us. So, Jenica, welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. It's an honor. Thank you, Paul. An honor may be too big of a word. But... <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll get it started. We haven't even no got pressure. So I, I always ask this. And when I say always, I mean, most of the time, I, I'd like to know. So first thing is, how did you get into sales? Oh, I tried really hard not to, actually. Okay. So I am going to be sipping tea while I talk because I'm I'm fighting, of course, the cold as everybody is right now. My father how'd is. How did you get that cold, by the way? That- I know really generous children who have yeah. listened to me when I've told them to share, oh, and they took that, it to heart. That they are good sharing children. That's good. That's good. Oh, oh I'm regretting some life choices. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I grew up in the sales training industry. My father is Terry Slattery. And he is a legendary sales coach, consultant, and trainer. And he's he's amazing. And so he actually, he and my mother were both in high-tech sales. Oh, That's wow. where they met. Yeah, they were both at a, in high-tech sales. And then when I was two, they started the Slattery Sales Group. And so I grew up, as any child of entrepreneurs does, totally soaked in the family business. Like I'm hanging out in the back of the training center. I'm watching all of his trainings. I'm traveling with him. And I'm immersed in the world of sales. Now, I am actually an off-the-charts introvert, and sales did not appeal to me at all. I was a math and science geek, and I really wanted to go really? off and... Yeah, totally. I would have never math. guessed that. I would have absolutely never guessed that. After we have this conversation, I'm going to go hang out with a cat for about two hours and not talk to humans. <laughs> I got to balance it, man. So I wanted nothing to do with sales. I mean, again, you grow up immersed in it for long enough. That didn't stop me though. I mean, I did I did work with my dad on and off. I was collating workbooks at 12 and just working with him on and off through the years. But I did. I, I ran off into banking and finance because I love numbers. And when you put numbers in a spreadsheet, they stay there. They don't talk back. It's fabulous. So I love numbers. So I ended up in banking and finance, but there were two things that drew me back. And one, of course, was COVID. Okay. When COVID hit, our pipeline dried up overnight. I mean, everything was just gone. And so I that was when I joined full-time and I helped guide the pivot to an online delivery model because all of our clients went virtual and we we're like, okay, we will meet you there. And so I joined full-time during COVID and I helped guide that pivot. So that's one of the things that got me back. What kept me is the realization that I had as an adult, because I love business. I absolutely love business. I love the marketplace. And I love free enterprise. I just, I love the free exchange of ideas, of goods, of services, of all of that. I mean, it's just an absolutely beautiful thing. And again, I'm the child of entrepreneurs. I'm married to a child of entrepreneurs. I'm the granddaughter of entrepreneurs. Like they're, both my parents came out of really deep poverty. Like they had no money growing up and they had, they had a rough time, but they were entrepreneurs and it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I have an incredibly deep respect for the people who have to go out in the marketplace and sell things, which is what entrepreneurs have to do. 
And the beautiful thing about sales is it's like, it's like free enterprise in a nutshell, because if I'm selling something and I want you to buy it, I can't get from you what I want, which is your money, unless I somehow make you better off. I can't use force. I can't use fiat. I can't use fraud. I can't seize your assets. I can't go break your kneecaps. If I want to get your money, I have to bring you value somehow. I have to do that. And that is a noble, incredible art. And I had always respected it. I just didn't want to be a part of it. <laughs> so, But I so deeply respect it. And I think it's something that earns and deserves more honor and respect than it necessarily gets in the marketplace right now. And so I am out to support and help those who are selling and those who are engaging in that free enterprise. And so our goal at Slattery, and as it has been now for 37 years, is to help our clients compete more effectively in the marketplace. That is our goal. We want them to compete more effectively in the marketplace. So I'm full-time. It's an honor to work with my dad. He's awesome. No, that is brilliant. So my background is I'm also a a child of an entrepreneur, right? Who was nice. who was a child of an entrepreneur. My dad's was the print shop. He owned a print shop right at the edge of when they were transitioning between, you know, full color plates and running everything on a press to the digital revolution, right? Oh. So mine would be spent time, I'd be spending time collating, stapling, everything, trying to work the cash register up front for them. And then he would be selling. Right. And so how it's similar is that I gained such an absolute loathing of collating and printing. I have a massive respect for it. Right. But a massive, massive respect for I hated the print stuff, like, because that's what I spent my life ching, 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 stapling. But you just get this huge respect for the ability to do commerce and the ability to do it well. I mean, there is, mm-hmm. there's a ton that don't do it well, and right. there's a ton that do do it well. And so the ability to, I like to think my dad did it well. Like he built a good, sustainable, good business. And I didn't appreciate it until I was out of college, like in terms of what uh, what he did and how he did it and the lessons he taught. But so when I talk about do it well, what does, everybody has a definition of sales, right? What is yours and what is doing sales well mean to you? Great question. Honesty, you're getting to clarity. Clarity is always in the interest of both parties. Mm-hmm. And so if what you're doing isn't in the direction of clarity and honesty, it's probably in the wrong direction. <laughs> so honesty and clarity, that's the right direction. And the second thing is, and this is so overlooked, <laughs> is humility. You've got to lead with humility because you are dealing with another human being. They've got all their baggage from childhood. They've got all their injuries. And it is so easy to step onto minefields. Mm-hmm. And the problem, the problem that every seller has when they're walking into a situation is they are naturally, they're bringing a solution to some sort of problem. They're bringing some sort of fix. But right away, that risks calling the person with whom you're speaking incompetent because they have a problem that you can fix. And so if you walk in saying, you have a problem you didn't even know about, and I can help you fix it because I know more than you do. Boom. They're not okay. They're not comfortable. You know more than they like. That's just a terrible dynamic to start with. You've got to lead with humility. You've got to lead with humility. And my dad, I mean, if you've seen Terry Slattery talk, he always leads with humility. He's the epitome of it. And so that's really the crux of what we teach. So like I said, we help our clients compete more effectively in the marketplace 
but then we train their salespeople to execute that tactically. And the biggest thing we teach them is the humility piece. You've got to lead with humility because you're dealing with another human being. And if you are starting off at hello with, I know more than you do, good luck. <laughs> That's a hard sell. Yeah, there's a big difference. I found there's a huge difference. Even when you're asked to be like given a demo, if you start with, so tell me a, a little bit about what you're going through instead of, let me show you what I got. Did right? you know your problem is costing you 5 million a year? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. That's, really? Oh, really? Great. I'll go tell Maybe my boss 12. to fire me. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> great. Yeah. So selling well, I think honesty and humility are absolutely critical. That is awesome. Clarity, honesty, mm -hmm. and humility. So how, yeah. how the heck do you, I want to get into some of the things you're seeing in the market, but how the heck do you train that? Like, Great question. Tell me, tell um, me a little bit about how you attack that and help people help people develop sales skills. One of the things, one of the services, like just tactically, when we're working with salespeople, one of the services that we offer is um, we have them send us their work. And it might be like when we're when we're working together, we suggest things to do. Like you're going to get stalls in the marketplace, right? You're going to get stalls. Prospects are going to push back. They honestly only have a handful of stalls. Like if you go to a whiteboard and you write out all the stalls that you will ever receive from a prospect somewhere around five or six, you're going to start repeating yourself because in any industry that we've been in, and we've been in over 170 at this point, every industry, there's maybe four to six repeating stalls and that's it. And so once you get the pattern, you can plan responses. And so when we're working with our salespeople clients, we tell them, send us your responses to those stalls. We'll help you craft them. And it's often some, like they don't even realize they're doing it, but there's some sort of defensiveness that's often woven in because when a prospect pushes back, they're now saying, I know more than you. And that, and that dynamic, that okay, not okay dynamic is there. And so they're pushing back and, and the salesperson might naturally say, okay, but, you know, and they push back with facts or they push back with defensiveness and they we don't even realize how much we're wired for that conflict of I'm right, you're wrong. We don't even realize how much we're wired for. So when we are editing their work, we'll work with them and we'll suggest this, this sounds a little abrupt. <laughs> like I think if we change the wording here, I mean, my dad and I are both wordsmiths, so we love nuance and mm -hmm. the, the little differences that words can make in language. We also, I mean, and stall responses are just one example. We work with outreach sequences, like when people are doing, when they're dropping emails, Again, like, did you know you have a problem that's costing five million a year? <laughs> so we we work with them, and I mean, obviously, most of our clients are more sophisticated than that. But that's the kind of stuff that we do is we actually do get into the nitty gritty of language, and then in our role plays and stuff, we give them some things to watch for as they do role plays and exchanges. You're very specific in in terms of how you define something called a stall, right? So you're using language mm -hmm. there. Is that normally what people would say is an objection or an mm -hmm. opportunity? So tell me a little bit more. Why is it a stall? Oh, it's the prospect's attempt to stall you. Okay. Slow you down, put you off. I really like that phrasing because I think objection, you know, you battle this for years in, I've been in sales for a long, long, long time, uh, but you battle it for years and people would say, well, I'm going to tee up an objection. I've heard that objection a million times and I know how to hit it out of the park. There's an issue with that, right? And I think one of the things that you've targeted there with this term stall is is that issue, right? You're because when you say you're going to hit this objection out of the park, it's all about you being performative and you being better than the prospect, which is yes. goes back to 
directly what you're talking about, which is once you put, you, you want to be in an expert position because you are the expert. You don't want to be in a position that is somehow looking down, right? Yeah. As soon as that power dynamic comes into play and they don't feel comfortable or they feel like you're explaining things to them, all credibility is gone. I don't care how right. I don't care how factual. <laughs> it doesn't matter. All that credibility is gone. They're not listening. They're helping you walk, walk out to the parking lot. You're going all the way back to the Socratic method. So, I mean, that's absolutely love it. Um, <laughs> we could probably talk on this for another like 40 minutes, but I do want to ask you a question about mm -hmm. the market today and kind of where are you seeing people, where are the most issues in the market with selling and where the most, where's the most opportunity in the market that you're finding? I know you work with a select group of people, but what do you find in there? So when we are in uncertain times, it becomes... <laughs> more important than ever to keep the clients you have. And the easiest sale. So it's kind of weird for me to be saying this because we we help our clients compete more effectively to win business and we help their salespeople execute those strategies in the marketplace to win business. So I it seems a little weird for me to be saying this, but the easiest business to win is that which you've already won. So that's the easiest sale in the world account management becomes absolutely critical, becomes absolutely critical, especially when everybody's talking about like, I don't know, uncertain times, what's going to happen, et cetera. What we tell our clients is your best client is on somebody else's forecast right now. And you can't relax. You absolutely can't relax. When the ink dries, that is when you start selling again, because there is what we call a DV slide. So one of the things that we teach when we're working with clients is strategic differentiation. So really what sets you apart in the marketplace so that you can compete better? Um, okay. Because in, in any marketplace, there can only be one competitor with the lowest price by definition, which means everybody else has to compete on something other than lowest price. They have to compete on some sort of value, some, something they're bringing to the marketplace that is unique, different, better worth commanding a higher price. And at Slattery, we call that differentiating value. And so we work with clients to determine what is your differentiating value or DV. Chances are when you closed an opportunity and you got the business, there was a high perception at the client company of your value, of your DV. Chances are you were working with an executive who had been tasked to solve a problem. They've They've got the problem solved. They've now got you on board. And that executive goes off to handle other strategic problems. And now you're in implementation. And during implementation, you get to work with Nerdly. Nerdly is the in-house guy. He's the subject matter expert. He knows more than you do, and he knows it. But Nerdly, even though he couldn't solve the problem that you solve, Nerdly is going to put it together and make it work inside. So now you're working with Nerdly. But when it works and you've put, you know, you've, you've implemented and it's all working, Nerdly is convinced that it works because of his expertise, not because of anything you brought, because Nerdly sees everything as a commodity. Mm -hmm. Then, so you've already kind of slid down the value scale. So you had high value, high perception of your value, and probably high margins when you closed your deal. Now we're at Nerdly. Nerdly sees everything as a commodity, but it gets worse. When contract renewal time comes, it turns out that Nerdly has gone off to work on his MBA, and now whoop, you're talking to purchasing. 
they're issuing the RFQ, they're issuing the RFP. And of course we call that the luau. You're being invited to the luau and they're looking for a pig. So I like that. Yep. You're now a commodity. Yep. We call it the DV slot. You come in at high value. The executive goes off to do other things. Now you're talking nerdly. And over time, eventually we're in purchasing blind auction, RFPs, RFQs, whatever. Now you're a commodity. You want to get ahead of that. And the best way to do that is by asking, I mean, like truly from the moment the ink dries, ask yourself basically the same question that you were probably asking when you were selling, which is what is my DV here and now? Because now that you're in, you're sticky, right? You've got the pain of change on your side. And usually, okay, so I'm going to step outside of account and go back to selling for a second. Like yeah, when you're selling yeah. into an organization, I think a lot of people don't realize that the greatest competitor you face out in the marketplace is the status quo. It's the option mm-hmm. of doing nothing because the pain of change is so intense. And I think we don't always account for that in our competitive strategies. Like we think about the other competitors, we think about what we bring, but we don't necessarily think about how intense is the pain of change that this prospect is going to have to go through either this person individually or the enterprise in order to adopt what I'm selling. Because we see the value that we have, we see what sets us apart. But I often describe DV as a coin with two sides. So we've got differentiating value. And it's like a coin with two sides. On the head side, you've got what differentiates you in the marketplace, like what sets you apart, um, That's what whatever you bring that is unique or different that allows you to command higher pricing, right? Yeah. That is about us. And it is from this head side of the coin that we get the 50 slide decks saying how pretty we are. And then we show them to the prospects and then they go dark and we wonder why. Because there's a tail side of the coin that we often don't think about. And the tail side of the coin is value. What value does it actually bring to the prospect? What do they actually care about? What are they living with that we can solve? So there are two sides to that coin. There's the differentiating, what sets us apart. Then there's the value to the prospect. And that requires getting into their business, understanding their world, thinking about it from the prospect's point of view. And the best way to do that, and we work with our clients on this, is asking a really, really simple question. And we call it the cinnamon question because we have a book called The Cinnamon Story, and it's from that. It's a, it's a true case study. We had a client okay. uh, who was a cinnamon salesman. And the cinnamon question is this. At that prospect enterprise, what is happening to whom because they are not my customer? It sounds so simple. But what is happening to whom because they are not my customer? Because of the foundation of DV is... Econ 101, right? There are no free moves. Every decision involves trade-offs and trade-offs have consequences. So when your client makes or your prospect makes a decision to do business with anybody else other than you, there are consequences to them for making that decision, including going with the status quo. What are those consequences? Past, what have they been living with that has built up? What are they living with today? How is it showing up on whose dashboard? And then in the future, what are they going to face because they are not my client? So that's the DV exercise that we work with people on. Again, it sounds simple, but when we do this at the strategic level with the executive team and we lock ourselves in a conference room for 14 hours and everybody hates each other at the end, <laughs> it's it's a really tough intellectual exercise. It's very cerebral. But when we come out of it, we have that razor edge of what really truly sets you apart 
in the marketplace, but it's from the prospect's perspective. It's not about us. And again, it goes back to that humility piece. It's not about us and how pretty we are. It's not about how cool our stuff is. It's about the prospect's world. What are they living with? What are they facing that we can solve? Because if they don't have any motivation to actually go through the pain of change, they're not a prospect. <laughs> like We really don't have value for them. That tail side is missing. There is no coin at all. And so it's, it's a really holistic approach. That exercise doesn't end when you get the business started again. Now that I'm inside and I've got pain of change on my side, that is an advantage for me. But now this class, this, this client is on somebody else's forecast and I have to defend against that. So if they weren't my customer, if they went with another competitor a year from now, what will happen? Mm-hmm. How will that show up? What will the consequences be? And run that exercise again, because DV, I mean, like I said, we sit with the executive team in a conference room. We lock it, lock everybody in for 14 hours and everybody hates each other. And it's hard. And then you're like, whoo, I'm done. Oh, yeah. yeah. I wrote a blog. Uh, it was, and oh, geez, I don't even know where I published it, but it was a, it was a fun blog. It was essentially value is in the eye of the beholder. Yes. Right? And so that's exactly what this is talking about with a way to get to it. And then what are the, I mean, some of the simplest thing we think of the simplest things as, okay, what are, like you said, what is, what is the pain of no change versus the pain of change? And how does that line up? Mm-hmm. Like, you you mentioned something to me. I'm trying to figure mm. out where to go next because I'm I gotta put on my navigator hat, but but like you mentioned something to me here earlier. You said yesterday's differentiators are today's table stakes. Yes. So how does that fit into DV, which you just talked about, and an account growth? Like what yes. How does that work? Great question. Yes. yesterday's differentiators are today's table stakes. What set you apart yesterday is not what sets you apart today because the marketplace tends to catch up. So a competitive edge that you had a year ago might be something that maybe a competitor has closed the gap. Maybe technology has changed the need. There's a lot that happens in this incredibly vibrant marketplace that that really Mm -hmm. changes the stakes. And so something that you offered that was novel and amazing and different and unique a year ago and highly valued by the marketplace. A year later, the client may have changed. The clients out in the marketplace may have changed. Their preferences may have changed. The competitors may have caught up. DV, differentiating value, um, we often say that it comes in, in one of two flavors. It's either truly unique. And by that, I mean like patented technology, like nobody else has this. Or it's something in your business model. It's in the way that you operate. It's in the way that you execute. Most of our clients, and this is funny because we actually work with a lot of tech clients. Most of our clients have DVs hidden somewhere in their business model, because here's what happens. Even if you have amazing patented technology, the marketplace tends to catch up even to that. And then pretty soon what set you apart yesterday isn't that impressive today. The market doesn't value it quite as highly. And what will set you apart in the future is going to be something about the way you operate, the business model, your your operating model, the way you are organized and running things. That tends to be where most of the the best DV is found. So the market. Yeah, you go to a tech company Mm -hmm. and it's not necessarily the technology, right? Exactly. uh, I can so resonate with that being Mm -hmm. where with membrane, right? So because we know, right? We know. 
we don't ever want to be Salesforce. Like that's not our, that's not our differentiating value. I would love this. Like I'd be selfish here and go down my own, my own uh, exercise with you on our differentiating value, but it's more along the lines of we, we love to elevate the sales profession. That's what we do. That's what everything is built around that. All of our, all of our technology is built to enable sales to perform and to drive revenue instead of, you know, to build the best widget or the best database or the best. So that's why we're able to partner with the, the best sales effectiveness consultants. We're able to, so finding that and then elevating that, what I'm here is finding that and elevating that within the customer at every single point. So nerdly, yeah. right? So you need to have a differentiating value and understand what that is to nerdly and nerdly's finance team. Because uh, Nerdly is going to be leaving, right? And so, an account growth is truly mapping that and mapping that value at every stage, and really working to highlight that. Am I yes. getting that right? Yeah. Oh, you said it precisely when you said mapping it. And it again, this sounds incredibly simple when I say mm-hmm. it, but draft an org chart, get a really simple like twelve box org chart, yeah, and fill it out because the thing about a complex sale is that there's a cast of characters involved. There's never one decision maker. And that's that's one of the really difficult things that I have with salespeople coming in is they always want to talk in terms of decision maker. And we're like, no, stop talking about decision maker. It's not about who. Stop worrying about who. Because they're like, I'm trying to figure out who the decision maker is. And like, no, you always want to know how. How the decision in a complex sale, you want to know how the decision is going to get made because if you learn the how, you'll get the who. But if you go after the who, you'll never get the how. And late stage deals that are lost nine times out of 10, it's because the salesperson did not have a comprehensive understanding of how the decision was going to get made. There were third parties they didn't understand, other people coming in, another process that had to happen. And so you really got to drill down on the on the how it's going to get made and mapping out, like literally get a, get the org chart, like a really handwritten one is totally fine. Map out who's who and what's most important to them. Like, what are they going to be voting on? Because you know, they're going to be talking about it when you're not there. What are they going to be talking about? And getting clarity around that, which means like, again, the day the ink dries, run all these exercises again, keep that intel, keep your contacts, keep them at a high level where there's a high perception of your value, because that that slide, that DV slide, gravity is real. Gravity is real. So keep those contacts and and maintain that uh, that high margin <laughs> position. I think, of the I think you should probably cut a cut a track called "Gravity Is Real." <laughs> then uh, we'll we'll have the DV slide. You know, it's a little bit a little bit different than the electric slide. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> we I love cut it. a track. Oh. I love it so. Say hey, we're ending. We're we're getting to the round off of our time, and I I can't thank you enough for how what you have presented here is is dynamic. It's wonderful. How do people get in touch with you besides through Membrane? How how do they get in touch with you, and uh, if they want to chat with you a little bit more? Honestly, you can reach out directly to me on LinkedIn. Okay, that's yeah, that's an easy way. Yeah, we've got a website. I'm at uh, slatterytraining.com or slatterysales.com. Uh, we've got two different websites. We run all of our online stuff through slatterytraining.com, um, all of our online trainings. And so I'm at both places. So I'm, yeah, if you look up Jenica Dixon, I think there are only a few of us. <laughs> it's, well, I am super LinkedIn, it is. And I am super excited that you chose to get back in the sales game and uh, continue the tradition with Slattery Sales because I think it, you're, 
your knowledge here that you gave us is awesome. I think it's going to help a ton of people. And I'm so excited to be partnered with you through Membrane. I'm super excited about that. Can I, I just have yeah, to yeah, yeah. Yes. I'm still onboarding. I'm finishing up my onboarding into Membrane. Yep. I'm super excited. I just have to so share why? That. So I got to ask, now I got to ask why. Oh, it's, it's elegant. It's just, it's a beautifully elegant system. I know I can customize it. I have a lot of handholding. So thank you to your team because they're handholding me a lot while I'm, while I'm doing this. Um, but it can be as simple as I want or as complicated as I want. And as we grow, the data will be there for me to play with and do with whatever I want very efficiently. I mean, I, I was an analyst, so I love numbers. <laughs> and so I'm also really efficient. Like I, I'm very practical. I'm there's a limit to how many rabbit holes I'll go down for numbers sake. And with membrane, I don't feel the the gravitational pull of, there we go with gravity again. I don't feel the gravitational, it's real. I don't feel that that pull down into like, I am going to drown in reports I don't need. I don't feel that with membrane. So thank you for your incredibly elegant system. It's beautiful. It's super uh, I'm going to pass that directly <laughs> to uh, George and Anders and Henrik. They're the uh, mind behind it. I, I I still don't get like you ask them questions in Slack one day and you're like, hey, what about this? And it's like, oh yeah, we we have that plan to release in in a week and a half. Oh, oh wow, great, great. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Thank you. I need to understand why we're losing here and why we're winning here. Oh, great. Just go click that button and you got it. I'm like, oh geez, I still don't know the magic of it. It's yeah. Thank you for being a part. I'm excited you're using it. More excited about you diving in and really understanding it so we can maybe I'll have you back. Can we have you back to talk about would love talk it. about okay. I would love it. Sweet. I would love it. So let's good. do this. We'll make a deal. We'll have you back in uh about six months into using using the system. Okay. And then uh and getting your first clients on it that are using it as well. And then let's just dive into and uh see if uh maybe we'll get Anders on there too. That'd be fun. Get our get our uh, development guy in there and have, have a talk with, with the genius. So that'd be fantastic. Cause what, what you guys do really well is like, there's this combination of the the tech brilliance, but then superhuman, superhuman. And I love that because it's, it's just, yeah, it's very human. And I love that. So thank you for keeping the human touch in all of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, everybody. I'm so we're signing off uh, from the art and science of complex sales and uh, can't wait to uh, see you on the next time. We'll see Thank you. you, Paul.